Good morning. Welcome to Anakalima Talk. It's Wednesday morning, and every Wednesday morning we have Anakalima who comes and uh, chats with us. And today is no exception, and we are talking about a very another, as usual, very interesting topic. So let me just look again here. So we're talking about Dharma and Karma. Is uh, many people don't even understand the difference between them, you know. So we are going to be talking quite a lot about that this morning. And um, she says in a, in a letter that she sent to me, I say I'm not Eastern. Oh, sorry. Uh, she says there that people who say that they are not Eastern, therefore they don't have this thing called Dharma. But the Dharma thing is, is uh, that's a complete misunderstanding of the principle of service. For a life of service is no life at all unless there is service. If you don't serve anything to serve, what, what kind of life are you living? So the question, of course, um, about service and relationship to Dharma is quite a huge thing that we are going to discuss this morning. And so, uh, welcome to our talk, and welcome, uh, beloved Anakalima. So, beloved Anakalima is also going to probably mention at some other point the unfolding of one's personal psychology in relationship to one's karma. And I don't know if uh, the listeners are aware, but your psychology and evolves and unfolds itself according to your karma, <coughs> as you have to deal with your karma in life. So, let us welcome beloved Anakalima again to our Wednesday morning talk. Welcome, Anakalima. Thank you, beloved Ralph. Good morning to everybody. Wonderful day and it's bright and warm here in the Western Cape. Yes, your karma and your dharma are interwoven like the caduceus that winds around the coil of being or the altar of the spine and your psychology and your karma are synonymous they are in a sense one and the same thing Ralph because your karma is your psychology it is the nature of your psychology in the word psychology means what the study of your psyche your psyche, in retrospect on hard medical science, actually refers to the soul, although they would rather call it the psyche because the so-called um, clinical and medical sciences um, have not advanced enough yet uh, and are not acknowledging that man has a soul, which is also part of the dilemma we face on the planetary body at the moment, is the total disregard of the soul and the fact that we are looked at more as some kind of biological wonder that can act and think and feel, and they don't take into cognizance the soul. So you must understand that your karma and your psychology are one and the same thing. The outplay of your karma, what is that? Normally karma doesn't come in much before puberty. Um, we, as I said in the very beginning, the descent of the astral body is what is called in medical science puberty 
the unfolding of the, the emotional body, which is experienced in the gender of masculine and feminine principles um, in, in the male child and in the female child. So when the descent of that astral body emerges, which is normally pre-puberty, you can start most young people today started about the age of nine, and they start showing signs already of the prepubescent nature or the beginning of the downloading of, and I'm using that as a modern term, downloading. We prefer, from the ascended point of view, the masters always talk of the descent the downloading of your karmic experience because it's written into your your pattern, your life's pattern before you reincarnate. The whole principle of birth, the whole principle of the first nine months in the womb is that when the baby, when your tiny little body is formed in the miracle of the alpha and omega seed, the ovum and the sperm, or when it is comes together in a mighty fission of light, and the fetus, as it is so crudely um, spoken of, begins to form, your karma, and most people do not understand this and do not know this. They think it just happens, as a lot of people say, oh, no, it just happened. Nothing just happens. The whole interplanetary configuration of the 12 solar hierarchs, the solar signs, the astrological signs, are interwoven like a very finely... Uh, woven garment like they do in Peru when they weave these magnificent ponchos and shawl. In fact, I think you're wearing one um, when we were in Peru together, um, the, the whole group of us, you, you bought that there. And the poncho that you're wearing is a very bright one with rainbow colors and so on. And you look at the hand weave of that, and I'm using that as an archetype. You look at the hand weave of that magnificent garment, and your your karma is a magnificent garment because when you are your body is being formed in the womb of the mother, um, what happens is that your karma is poured into the formation of that body so that as it unfolds, once it's born, once you are born into it, once you enter it, once you reincarnate at birth and you enter into it, the patterns of your karma begin to unfold. You actually begin to see the warp and woof or the weave of the karma. In other words, the events that take place in your life. So it's very important to also understand that you don't just have a mother. The woman who gives birth to you is inexorably and, and absolutely unequivocally woven into your karma. There are no mistakes in heaven. Even if you have, as often happens today, at birth, Perhaps it's a very young mother. She surrenders the child and the child's adopted and never meets the biological mother. It does not matter. You still had a karmic principle with that individual who had to give you uh, life, as it were, with God. She had to surrender the body, as a woman must do. You surrender the body and the incoming soul can, through the processes of your own karma, interwoven together, Okay, bring about the form or the body that you reincarnate into, and therefore that is your karma. Yeah, okay. So that, of course, raises a whole number of issues before we get to the principle of Dharma. Yes. It raises the whole question of, of abortion, you know. The, many people today, are, there's a huge fighting for the case of the new judge in, in America 
who is going to swing, and they're hoping to swing this Roe versus Wade uh, uh, judgment that everybody refers to now and allows abortion. Uh, under Trump, they wanted to reverse this, this decision. And um, this is a, um, an amazing question because people nowadays think there's no life before birth and there's hardly... It's part of Dharma, isn't it? Yes. Karma and Dharma, is a, you've got to serve the incoming soul just as an as a, your mother served you as an incoming soul. So this is a principle that is being whitewashed and shoved under the carpet at that moment, and it is really a critical issue. Yes, beloved Ralph. Unfortunately, the Roe versus Wade scenario, which took place quite some time ago in the height of summit, in the height of the time of Claire Delis and Lunello, was an, a major issue that was brought forward um, actually by a woman who who wanted to abort and a whole lot of issues were, were brought out about it and that's how it took place. Uh, there is this understanding that this is my body and therefore I will say. But if we, if we look at the principle of life itself, um, the body is not ours. When you meet the point of your transition, regardless how it comes about, you surrender a body that never was yours. Okay, The blood in our veins is not our own. Um, the heart, all the organs and so on, the flesh, it's not your own. It is only lent to you for a while. Because when you leave, you can't take it with you. And when you return, it's altered. In other words, there's further comic complications. Therefore, life in itself is not your own. Life is not your own until you've won your ascension and you've understood what life is about. So even in the very onset, you know, and there are tragic circumstances here, so I say this with very deep sensitivity to certain people I have spent years in counsel with who have gone through abortion, and I simply want to say it, it is said with very great compassion and sensitivity, but abortion is murder. It is considered first-degree murder of God because we are God in manifestation. We do not have the right over another person's life. So women have to stop and think, well, yes, this might be my body, but the life in it that's coming through it is not mine. Therefore, I do not have the right to say what's going to happen. And also, this uh, Roe versus Wade scenario was very much driven by the fallen ones to deny the principle of fatherhood. And that the, 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 the father has no say in the matter because, okay, the woman plays a very major role, doesn't she? She's carrying the formation of the, the little body in her, in her own body. But without the father principle, there wouldn't be that. So the father is just as much involved in that principle as well. And, and when you look at abortion, you're denying fatherhood. You're denying the principle of alpha in the matter plane because you're saying that a man has no say over whether his child may make it or not. These are very core and sensitive issues because they say, well, what about rape? But unfortunately, we have to look at that figure, Ralph, and say that because there are no accidents in the universe, tragically, unfortunately, with rape, somewhere along the line, um, something took place in some other life somewhere and so on, and therefore, if it has been your um, lot, I'm just going to leave it at that, is it's such a sensitive issue to experience such um, 
violation in your own being. It might be that somewhere along the line in some other life, you violated somebody else, and therefore you have to bear the principle, and often that violation was at the cost of life. So the principle of karma is very, very sensitive and amazing, because the violation, which in rape it is absolutely extreme, is the one side. If a woman does fall pregnant, it's at the cost of life in another life. So not only does she unfortunately bear that humiliation and that agony of rape, but also somebody's life was involved. So when you gen, not all situations are like that, but um, usually in the case of rape, uh, life is very much involved where you might have un inadvertently or whatever unfortunately cost someone their life and you have to pay for that life with your own life and if it is some sort of accidental situation where it wasn't perhaps a premeditated murder or something like that you bring that life in without the cost of your own life I make this very clear because El Moria made this very clear many many years ago through Claire de Lee that the comic boards say in the sense of um capital punishment in the sense of, you know, a life for a life. If you're going to take someone out of embodiment, either in that life or the very next life, you will forfeit your own life in embodiment. Because even if you serve time in a prison, it still does not pay back the life that you removed. What the prison sentence pays back is the service to the community for what you did. Because we are all one, but you still have to pay back that life. So, in that sense, often or not, we bring through life with, we might resent bringing through in an unwanted pregnancy, but we might be very, very responsible for bringing that child into the world. It's a very sensitive subject, but at the end of the day, unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, um, the ladies of on of where we are in the world today might shoot me down in flames, particularly those who have borne um, very, very awful circumstances but at the end of the day, um, the life within our womb, and I speak as a mother of three, does not belong to you. It belongs to God. Yes, right. I fully understand that principle. This question of, uh, of uh, taking the, the life of an unborn is, uh, can only really arise when people don't have a full understanding of the implications of God. And uh, where the idea of service to God, uh, service to mankind, your fellow man, because that's how we pay our karma, is we serve our fellow man. If you serve yourself, you're not serving fellow man. But if you serve your fellow man, you're paying off your karma, and that's how we evolve. That's where the transformation of our consciousness takes place. So this is, raises so many issues. Thank you so much for bringing this topic forward this, this morning, Anika Lima. So uh, we have to find ways and means constantly of serving our fellow man. Yes, um, you know, again, a very sensitive subject because if I don't, you know, there's, there's this saying that has sort of, done its rounds through media like Facebook and so on and so forth is you have to be a bit selfish to be selfless. Well, I'd like to just change that a little bit. Um, to become selfless, you need to serve. It's not a matter of being selfish. Because people say, well, what about me? But the principle is that in the power of service to all of life, whatever that service might be about, 
if you really look at it, at the end of the day, you are also serving yourself. The same principle is that Ralph, relationship is primary. What does that mean? If you do not have a relationship with yourself, if you do not have some balance and integral wholeness within yourself, towards yourself, you will treat others exactly the way you treat yourself. Now, this is what psychology is. You will treat others the way you treat yourself. And you say, no, I'm very good to myself. Well, actually, most people in the 30-odd in the years I have done um, life counseling, I've discovered people do not have the remotest understanding of what this means because where they feel they are serving themselves and looking after themselves, they often or not in most cases do themselves the most tremendous disservice because they have no understanding of what the principle of service is. The principle of service is I am my brother's keeper. That is the principle of service, meaning that the, 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 the reason I am also in embodiment is to make life easier for other people. When I assist them and serve them, I make life easier for myself. The whole principle of Buddhism is that life is phenomenal. In other words, this is a phenomenal world. It's coming and going as clouds come and go. So nothing here in that sense is really real because it's impermanent. So if everything is impermanent, what is the point of service? The point of service is actually the transcendence of consciousness. It's the transcendence of your own consciousness through Christ that you evolve through phenomenon. And even though these experiences, God says in the Bible, and I shall wipe away your tears... What does that mean? That when you approach the ascension, when you enter into the ascension, and this subject I am busy being initiated with very intensely at the moment, is that you will fully come to understand in the ascension that in fact, as real as everything seems here in the, on this planetary body of form, it's not real at all because it's impermanent. And what you need to understand, beloved listeners, is the nature of God in his Christ, in his Buddhic being, in the heart of the mother, is permanence. God is permanent. If this world is completely impermanent, then who is God that we keep referring to who is permanent? Surely then the permanence of God in his divine, atmic nature means, if I'm God, I can turn around and say to you, well, I have a place that's permanent. It's called the kingdom. And the kingdom actually translated literally means consciousness. The consciousness of Christ is immortal, it's eternal. I have a place for you which is eternal, which is often referred to in the Bible as the promised land, okay? because the promised land was not some physical place that Jacob dreamt about and that Abraham went to and that Moses led people through the desert to and that Joshua, who was an embodiment of Jesus, took over after um, Moses made his um, transition Okay, and Joshua led them through to the so-called promised land. It was a metaphor, it was an archetype, and at the end of the day, the promised land is the consciousness of Christ. So we are given an opportunity in the matter plane, no matter, excuse the pun, no matter how glorious it is, because the earth is beautiful. It's a beautiful place, even though man has quite deliberately, sacrilegiously tried to destroy it. It's a very beautiful place to, to practice, really and truly this planet is nothing but a schoolroom, a very advanced university of life where we can practice again and again. In other words, we reincarnate again and again and again till we get it right. And then we are able to ascend to where permanence, where divine glory, where paradise is. There it remains paradise because we no longer um, subject 
subjected to sacrilegious situations where we hurt one another, destroy one another, destroy the planet, make people unhappy, deny people things and so on and so forth, push people out of embodiment and so on. All these egocentric expressions of the lower nature of man can never enter the etheric octaves where the ascended masters are. So honestly, I must say to you, one has to have a very deep look at what the word karma and service is. When we serve one another, we serve all of life. And the only way to the ascension is to become a servitor of light, which is often or not sometimes the reference the ascended masters give to the light bearers. They are servitors, divine servitors of light. And that's the only way you will ascend is to work on the principle of service. I am my brother's keeper. Yeah, thank you so much, Anakalima. So we'll come back to this topic in a moment, and we're just going to have some a bit of music. So we're back here on Blue Lotus Radio and we're talking to Anna Kalima. So Anna Kalima, why is there this feeling, um, I think, 
well, I, I find it everywhere, not just amongst the young people, is this resistance to want to pay off one's karma. Uh, karma has become such a cliché word, you know, but underneath it all um, is a resistance to want to uh, pay off your karma and s- serve life. You know, in my life's experience and in the great teachings that I have both absorbed and have been given to me in initiation, the struggle to awaken, the struggle to become awake, because there's one principle I'd like to bring to notification here that was made very clear to me last year by Aki, I hope, because of a subject I raised, I said something about actually... Um, a member of my own family who's living in the United Kingdom at this point in time on her behalf of the constraint of karma I have with this individual. And um, she turned around and she said, no, she is a light bearer. And she said to me, you must understand, most are light bearers, but they are struggling to awake. So we must not ever fall under the impression that only those who receive ascended teachings and that and that are awakening are light bearers there are light bearers all over this planet millions and billions of them they just don't know they are light bearers they are fast asleep in duality they are fast asleep and caught up and enmeshed like the synchromesh in the gears of a car in materialism and materialism is not just Look at my house and my car. Materialism is also a concept. In other words, it lives in your consciousness. So like a, a benighted roots, um, sorry, weeds that are in a garden that are rooted deeply, you know what it is to get rid of um, weeds out of the garden. It's a very tough job because you've no sooner got rid of a few and a whole lot more emerge and then a little bit of rain comes and a whole lot more emerge and so on and so forth. So the root is also what the masters say. Some of the Eastern masters in particular say that the root of the lesser self is actually in the heart and it has to be torn out of the heart to get rid of it. And you have to endure bleeding. Now, if you look at the archetype of that, they will say that the only way to remove that root is to tear it out. And that means is you have to come to the full understanding that you have a debt to life. And therefore, that's why you've reincarnated. Okay, mostly, mostly why you've reincarnated. And you might owe life itself, you might owe somebody, you might owe your own life principle as well. And that in itself means we must pay that debt. Either we have children and we give them back the life we might have removed by some other means, or we have really done someone very wrong. And you find these people that you meet in life that you rub up against and you just can't get right with them these are normally souls who you've rubbed up against in a life before but because you have subsequently since then awakened doesn't mean they have they might not have awakened and therefore they resent you and they will go out of their way to uh, pursue you and persecute you and so on and so forth so the understanding of paying off karma is being also interfered with by the fallen ones where they have managed to manipulate the Christic teachings, the Gnostic teachings of Jesus Christ through the Essenes and so on and so forth, because the Gnostic teachings of Jesus Christ were removed from the Bible, just as some of the deeper Gnostic teachings of Gautama Buddha have been removed out of the Dhammapada, which for others, if you're not sure, is the Buddha's Bible. 
and therefore you have a kind of orthodox Buddhism in the great wheel called the Mahayani wheel, orthodox Buddhism, and then you have esoteric occult Buddhism, um, which is the Vajrayana uh, unit of Tibetan Buddhism in Tibet. Okay, Both play a very important role, just as both sects of Christianity play a very important role, because there are still many, many, many souls who need to awaken, so even in the principle of orthodoxy, it is better to have an orthodox version of Christ than no version at all. So at the end of the day, what we're taught by the Master is, is it's not just about debt, Ralph. We also are able to earn by increment merit, meritorious deeds, the whole path of the East and the Buddha is that by merit we can attain. So in Christianity also we talk about being righteous. We talk about my brother and I are one. I am my brother's keeper, so on and so forth. I look after not just my principal family, but mankind. This is also a very um, wonderful way of serving while you're paying your karma. I'll give you a material understanding of that. If you are in that position and your economic karma, because this is one thing people don't understand, everyone is born with what is called the economy of their karma. And if the economics of your karma has allowed you perhaps to be in the position where you reach the point of so-called maturity as an adult, you go into the world and what do you do? You are able to purchase a home. You are able to purchase those things, a motor car and so on and so forth. And you have your home and your car and your refinery around you. And at the same time, you're paying your debt, you see. So the bank lends you the money. Let's not go into the, the corruption of the bank at this point in time. Let's rather just look at it as a principle. The bank lends you the money, but you must pay the bank back. You can't just have that money. You've got to pay the bank back. So that principle is the same with karma. You have an opportunity to serve, to get merit, to, to gain attainment, to do something with your life, but you're also paying back at the same time. You can't just have it, okay, because it's a free flow. It's, it's, it's always... Um, depicted in, in occult teachings and esotericism as a figure eight. The nexus point of the figure eight, um, the top part of the figure eight, is the heavenly world. It is where your heart and your head is. From the nexus point down is the solar plexus down, but it's also the point between heaven and earth. It's give and take, Ralph. It's always about flow. And when there's no flow, there's blockages. And where there's blockages, there's dis-ease. And that's why people get sick, because they feel that perhaps... The karma they meet, they meet, say, uh, and they get a job and they work with a very, very unpleasant employer who puts them through very, very difficult situations and so on and so forth, and they become very unhappy. There might be a very deep karmic principle there where they have to serve under this individual because the roles may very well have been reversed in some other circumstance in some other life, and therefore they have to experience what it's like to treat people with indifference. So, <clears throat> so it's actually... Um, Karma isn't always just negative. No. We have to bear in mind that karma is adjusted by the karmic board <laughs> to actually become a, a, an opportunity to serve. So this is a very interesting uh, concept that you're bringing here. So you're paying off your debt, but that same paying off of the, of the debt is giving you an opportunity to serve. Yes, principally, yes, that's the principle. It is, as I often laughingly joke with the master, it is, it is pay as you go. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we are going, but we have to pay as we go. 
Yeah. Gate, gate, para gate, para sam gate bodhisattva. <laughs> going, going, going beyond the infinitive. But at the same time, I'm paying off my debts. <laughs> yes. I have this wonderful house. I love coming home at the end of the day of my work and basking in the sun in my home. I drive a good car, etc., etc. But I've got to pay the bank back every month. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a, that is so true. And, and this is what we need to know, you know, is that um, karma, the complexity of karma is, is, is that it's been adjudicated already. Your karma has been adjudicated. It's not just a cause and effect, but you, you are also, your, your, your cause and effect has already been offered as an opportunity to serve. You see, what one needs to also understand with the unenlightened, um, and we must remember that somewhere at some stage we were also unenlightened. So we always speak about them with as much compassion as we can. The unenlightened resent their karmic circumstances. They resent the teachings of karma because they don't want to pay off the debt because they are unconscious to the principle of dharma. They are unconscious to the principle of turning the dharma wheel. Dharma means to serve, and in your service you attain, you gain knowledge, you gain some principle either in the Buddhic path or some principle in the Christianic path as well, so that you also can gain attainment. Now, anyone who is involved with the Ascended Masters on any level, um, from summit to where we are today, will know that when you look at your tube of light um, image, the great wheel or where the principal cornerstone um, or day star of your I Am Presence is, is in fact where all your attainment is stored. This is also why God said he will wipe away all our tears. And when you ascend, every life you've ever had where you've achieved and attained all that attainment, which remains God's property until you ascend, is sealed in your causal body. This is why we say we call beings who are ascended masters because we're self-mastered, we're mastered, we're fully mastered, we're fully evolved. And when you ascend, it is released to you, it is given to you, your attainment is given back to you. You don't lose any of it, not one single drop of it. This is, of course, what the sleeping soul doesn't understand. And you'll find that's why people who are um, the spoilers of the earth, the laggards and the Nephilim and so on, do not want to follow this principle. So they will cause... Um, all kinds of chaos, they will cause insurrection, they will cause anarchy wherever they go. What does anarchy mean? literally means to split. It means also to split the governments apart. Anarchy always operates from the head down. The fish always rots from the head down. So your government principles are, are sitting with corruption, and then they expect to create um, whatever they want as far as the national circumstances concerned, but, in fact, their principle is fallen and their principle is nothing but anarchy. It's to split the brotherhood of man apart, to divide people, to divide cultures, to divide gender, to divide race, so on and so forth. Divide and conquer is the word. It's another word for anarchy. So, at the end of the day, um, if people are very resentful, it's usually because mostly they are very deeply, deeply asleep. And there are levels of being asleep, Ralph. There are levels where you are just non-aware, and ex to some extent that is to be asleep, and then there are the, the term of the sleeping soul, and then there's still another one where the masters call them the living dead, um, 
because one of the disciples made a comment to Jesus one day, you see, and they said to the great master, you know, uh, they want to understand what was all the uh, emotion around death, what's all the emotion, because, you know, particularly in some of the older cultures, when someone dies, the principle of the funeral is a huge affair. It's actually quite um, ad nauseum as well. And if you go back in time, it wasn't just the blue-violet races that were weeping and crying. It was many cultures, even in the Judaic cultures and the Aramanic cultures and so on and so forth, Greek and into Europe and so on and so forth. Um, and Jesus made a very interesting comment. He simply said this, let the dead bury the dead. Now what does that mean? It means that the Senate masters do consider the soul that is very deeply asleep to be dead in the sense of reality, non-reality. They are called the living dead. In other words, they literally walk around in corpses because the body starts to decay very, very quickly in life. Okay, And before you know it, you enter into decay from about your middle 30s on where the body does not regenerate. In other words, youth is no longer available to you. And people worship youth. They want to remain young forever, but they don't want to do the work that goes with it. And at the end of the day, that is what the dead, burying the dead is. It means that those who are so unconscious, they are so asleep, and weep for the dead, are dead themselves. They're dead in the sense of non-reality. So they worship death. I've always had a very interesting principle I'd like to share with you. I've made it one of mine because it's actually um, one of the driving factors that has liberated me completely from the fear of death. Is that I find that death is, is first of all, the way it's approached, is a very selfish thing. In fact, many of the masters have spoken to me about this. Most people, when someone dies, are very, very selfish. They're not really concerned about the person who's gone. They're weeping for themselves. Now, people might find this very harsh when I say this, but the fact is that the moment anyone so-called in brackets dies, the moment you make transition with its natural, through accidents or disease, you are instantaneously 100% free. You are taken back up through the astral core and into the higher etheric body because the astral core and the physical body fall away. It falls away at death. The astral body and the physical body fall away. And you are in a state of absolute transcendent peace. You are released instantly. Because you do not bear the physical body. and You do not bear the corpus Christi. I don't know if that makes any sense, Ralph. I have always felt that death is for those who are left behind. We have to feel what it is like when someone is gone from us. We have to ask the question, why is this person gone? Why do I feel like this? Why am I so afraid of death? Well, what is it about death and this going that affects me so deeply that I'm going to weep and carry on? Am I really missing Johnny? Was I so close to Johnny that when Johnny goes, I'm going to die because he's no longer here? Nine times out of ten, the answer is no. Nine times out of ten. It's usually only the one closest to Johnny, either perhaps a wife or a, or a very close sister or something like that, who will feel the full impact of that vacuum that's left when Johnny is gone. But for the rest, <clears throat> who's really, really weeping for Johnny? No one. They weep for themselves, and the masters have made this abundantly clear to me that this is also to do with the egoic principle of death and worshipping death. Very interesting topic we are discussing very sensitive here. topic very sensitive indeed and uh, as usual Anakalima really enters into these things and gives us uh, the perspective 
of the, the hierarchy. This is the ascended masters are part of the hierarchy that govern over this planet. And this planet has got a mission, every human being has got a mission, and the dilemma of humanity is very complex in this very time. So we'll come back in a moment to continue our discussion.
So here we are back again with Anna Kalima and uh, I think it's time for us now to turn our attention to what is Dharma, Dharma uh, as opposed to Karma. We've uh, actually been discussing quite a bit the whole understanding of Karma as a principle of service uh, at the same time as paying your debt to life. But maybe you can say, tell us a little bit more about Dharma because Many, many people have got a complete confusion, actually, what the Dharma is all about. Yes, there's lots of cynicism about it. You'll find people who say, it's my Dharma, um, and this in itself actually is considered a blasphemy by the Ascended Masters to mock and deride the word Dharma, because the whole principle of Dharma is that Gautama Buddha came as a very, very advanced avatar, because he became, in his embodiment, a fully enlightened Buddha. He didn't just attain enlightenment, as some people don't seem to understand the two. He became a fully enlightened Buddha, which is only very, very, very rarely accomplished in the matter plane, as in thousands upon thousands of years, that you can actually reach that level. And what he, the whole principle of Gautama Buddha was to lower the Dharma wheel into manifestation, when he enlightened as a Buddha, it was said he turned the Dharma wheel twice. He turned the Dharma wheel. And the moment he turned that Dharma wheel, two little deers appeared out of the forest nowhere and a little space apart from each other went up to him and bowed down to him on their forelocks. They bent down on what is for the animal their knees and they bowed their head down while the hindquarters remained up in the air. They bowed down before him and if you see anything in Buddhism today the Dharma wheel is there and between in the center is the Dharma wheel on either side is one of these little deers it's the principal symbol of Buddhism is the two little deers which is also the symbol of the heart it's the symbol of innocence and the Dharma means that Gautama Buddha managed to bring into manifestation through his awakening wisdom he managed to bring wisdom, and wisdom is the yellow ray. Wisdom means we take knowledge and we give birth to wisdom through knowledge. In other words, we bring in the Christ mind, because he's also Gautama the Christ. He's not just Gautama Buddha as in the Buddha, he's Gautama the Christ. And if you are a student of the Ascended Masters, you uh, need to research this a little bit and to understand that uh, Gautama is very, very intensely... Um, involved in the principle of Jesus's life and the Christianic path. In fact, all of Jesus's teachings come from Gautama anyway. So the principle of wisdom is also the mother. The mother is the symbol of divine wisdom. It is the feminine light. It is the, um, the minus. You have the plus and minus or the positive and negative. It is the omega principle that is manifested into the material world as wisdom. Wisdom is that point where you are given concepts to understand and you go, aha, and some little magic bell goes on inside your head and there is this moment of an, like a kind of epiphany where you have a full realization on the subject you are studying. That is wisdom, because wisdom is living consciousness. Wisdom is the living consciousness of the Buddha, the living consciousness of the Mother, and it is the living consciousness of the Christ, also better known as the living Word, or the Gnostic teachings of Jesus Christ. 
So he gave birth, as it were, because he brought it into the matter plane, because he was there at the time, because he brought it into the physical world. Why? He became a fully enlightened Buddha while he was in a physical body. And therefore he was able to bring through his consciousness, which expanded beyond the capacity of anyone's understanding. You know that the Buddha, Ralph, delivered 82,000 sutras. 82,000 sutras. And one can think, how can you teach 82,000 points of wisdom? Well, that is how vast Gautama Buddha's mind is. So there is no end to the vastness of wisdom. It must not just be, oh, a wise man, oh, that's a very wise thing. Wisdom is the realm of Buddhic consciousness in the mother. So without wisdom, there's no Dharma. And Dharma means we have the wisdom to evolve in the matter plane by serving humanity because we understand. The principal um, capstone of the pyramid um, in Buddhism is understanding without understanding and it's an interesting concept because Saint Germain has taught that the word understanding means to stand underneath your I am presence so if you have your I am presence above you you stand underneath the principal canopy of cosmic consciousness which means I understand because I stand under the presence of my I am presence therefore wisdom becomes the garment of my consciousness Oh. That is Dharma. Wow, so we're getting a little bit closer to what uh, Dharma means. And it's very interesting that in Proverbs, uh, they, the, the uh, writer in Proverbs says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Yes. So that is actually, do we have much of a choice other than to, well, we want to. It's our goal. It's our driving force that brings us back into life and to be able to turn the Dharma wheel with vision and with wisdom and therefore to serve humanity. Have you ever noticed, Ralph, in nine times out of ten, when even in literal, genuine conversations that are just perhaps sundries about your household or something, you're trying to explain something to someone and then they say, yes, I see what you mean. Have people ever stopped to understand, to stand underneath the eye and wonder what they've just said? You cannot have wisdom without vision. Vision is the all-seeing eye of God. It is the 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 vision of Mati Sacre and Virginia. When you say, I see, it means that in your vision you cognize what the person is talking about. If you can't see in the eye what the person is talking about, there's no wisdom. So wisdom and vision are one. Wisdom and vision are one. Oh, that's so very important. And you mentioned this, uh, this uh, eye, this, this eye of the cyclopea. It's very interesting. It goes way back to Egypt, you know, the yes. horse's eye, uh, Ra's eye. And, of course, at the moment we also see... Uh, that the Freemasons had this eye, the, the eye, and then this eye is on the dollar bill. But uh, uh, nowadays they say this is the Illuminati and this is uh, the fallen principle. Unfor unfortunately, um, the old wisdom has been infiltrated by the fallen ones and twisted the meaning of these things. The truth of it is that we do, in fact, need vision and the eye of God is that key, that entrance point of vision. If we don't have it, 
we perish. Well, if you can't see something, you know, blind people are not really blind. If you sit and have a conversation, particularly with someone who's been blind from birth or most of their life, you find that their vision, their ability to see is actually often deeper than your own. Um, they might need guidance on a physical level because they don't want to bump into the wall and so on and so forth. They need a cane which is used to tap and that tapping is a kind of Morse code which goes into the consciousness as well. It's not just to, to, to say, well, I don't want to walk into a wall. That tapping is a form of Morse code. And then you normally have these animals who are trained very lovingly. They are absolutely amazing, these dogs. Usually they are the Labradors that are very devoted and they're trained um, to be the eyes of that individual. But it doesn't mean that a person who's blind can't see. Jesus said when his mission, when he was here 2000 years, 2000 years ago, he said, I've come to make the blind see, and those who can see go blind. So it, it's, it's quite a thing, and what was Jesus referring to? In meaning that you have to look back, you have to look into your soul, and you have to close the physical eyes and stop being so reliant on what you think you see to what is truly going on, because there's an, always a vision, Ralph, behind the vision you have in front of you. This is why the Masters will always tell you things are not what they seem because this is a phenomenal world. So what you think you're seeing in front of you is not really what you are seeing at all. There are phenomenon in front of you. We are sitting here in a studio. There's loads of screens in here. There's computers in here. There's a, there's, a, there's a massive hard drive system that you've got running in here and so on and so forth. But really, all of this put together makes it possible that you, the listener, can hear me. And if you close your eyes while you're listening to me, you can see what I'm saying. Because you're either going to agree with what you see, or you're going to feel that's not part of my vision, because you may not have entertained it yet. You may not have entered there into the attainment. That's what entertainment means, is to enter into attainment. And it's, of course, being usurped by the fallen ones today, and mankind is rushing around. He's got to be entertained everywhere. He's completely missed the point of entertainment. It means to enter into attainment. To enter into attainment means that you must be, in the first principle, either a bodhisattva or a disciple of Christ because you're seeking attainment. You're seeking to enter into a place where you can attain or accrue merit so that your wisdom can, in fact, expand and expand. When wisdom, Ralph, is fully expanded, as Master Kasumi has now flashed through to me now, you become a living son. The destiny of wisdom is to become a living son of God. Oh, wow, that is so really amazing. So... As usual, Anna Kalima brings us really thought-provoking concepts and you hear it here on Blue Lotus Radio and I don't know where else you will hear it, but you will always hear this on Blue Lotus Radio. We will be back with you in a minute. Oh, 
So as usual, we have wonderful discussions here on Blue Lotus Radio with Anna Kamalima. And these are available as on a podcast uh, through Spotify and a few a number, a number of other podcasts are all over the show. And remember that if you wish to donate, you will, we will always be very happy to receive your donations uh, although we do this work free of charge, but as we spoke about the fact that we need to sustain a certain infrastructure to do this, which Anna Kalima refers to this morning, yeah, in our little studio, and so we always need some uh, some sponsorship as well from a physical point of view, although we are very aware that we are sponsored from the spiritual world, we also need people to help with service, you know. We all have to serve one another to make things really um, happen here on the physical plane. And our sojourn here is not very long, you know, 72 odd years goes by very, very quickly. And we've been here so many times. Um, Yeah, well, so Anaka Nima, Tell us now, as we have not just passed the hour, um, how do we stand at this present time? I mean, to what extent can we discuss this on the air? But how do we stand at this present time with the situations that is building up throughout the world? Uh, I've been listening to so many interesting people talking and uh, things are, uh, these things happening behind the scenes of COVID-19, but COVID-19 is, is used for it, and many people are struggling, and many people have lost their jobs, and so there's a real pressure on people to try and understand and to awaken. I mean, to what extent can we um, bring a few key pointers to our listeners? Beloved Ralph, what I'm sponsored to give to you is that as much as there is pain in our confusion, pain in our understanding, um, a certain sense of helplessness that sometimes brings about resentment, we have to go back a little bit, um, quite a bit, in fact, to the fall of Atlantis and understand that when a civilization comes to the point of the 
if you like, butterfly stage. They come out of the chrysalis and they want to fly. There has always been the interference of the Lagod beings and the fallen ones. This is not only on this planetary body, it is on other planetary bodies in other systems of worlds as well. Understanding that the great cosmic council of Sirius does not only act for this particular universe, but for others too. So we know from cosmic hierarchy, um, in great cosmic beings like Surya and Cusco and um, beloved Lord Vasudeva and beings like that, we can understand through Sanat Kumara that this is a reality, that this configuration we're experiencing right now happens elsewhere too, and it has happened in the history of this planet quite repeatedly. And why is that? Because the Lagarde consciousness does not wish to evolve, because the fallen ones wish to hold this planetary body back and also to avoid the Golden Age. And the Golden Age is the awakening of mankind from non-awareness, the awakening into the Buddhic mind, into the wisdom consciousness of the sun, in the cosmic Christ consciousness of Lord Maitreya. So as much as things might seem a little bit difficult all around and people are panicking, um, everyone is in the exact space and place they need to be at this point in time as they are experiencing what is going on. And people say that everything is out of control. In a sense, yes, and in a sense, not. I can only give you a deeper understanding from my part that we will win this war and that we will overcome this issue and that mankind will go forward and that these uh, fallen ones and their strategies, particularly with this vaccine nonsense and all these other so-called mandated issues, will not pass. The saying they shall not pass is not just simply a negation from spirit. If you wish to ascend, if you wish to enter into Jerusalem, the kingdom of conscience, you have to pass. You have to be told by either a great being like Archangel Gabriel or Michael or Saint Germain and so on that you've passed in other words you can ascend when they say they shall not pass it means they will not ascend they will not go forward they will stay back they will be held back because if you hold others back you will be held back yourself you dig a hole for someone you invariably end up falling in yourself so this is what people must do at this point in time my only suggestion is because I also speak from the own hard core of experience and that is that unless you truly are going to cleave unto God, cleave unto Christ, cleave unto the Buddha, cleave unto our blessed and glorious Savior Jesus and the great ascended ones like Afra and um, beloved uh, Moria El and so on and so forth, you're not going to make it because these blessed ones have also come through traversity. They've also come through very, very hard times and suffered, and they know full well that you can make it and will make it. We are always taught from the word go, Ralph. Evil is not real, and its appearance has no power. Now, the word evil is interesting. It means energy veil, just as emotion means energy in motion. What is an energy veil? It's energy that's stuck. It's energy that doesn't move. It's energy that doesn't free flow. If a river dies, there's an energy veil there. It's not necessarily a satanic force, but there's an energy veil there where the free flow of the water has been blocked. Or when someone dies of lymphatic cancers, the energy flow in the body has been blocked through your consciousness and so on and so forth. And therefore, there's a stagnation. The body can't clean just as a 
swimming pool can die because the filter is not running properly. The filter can be regarded as the lymphatic system and therefore that water dies. It turns green and very nasty and horrible and you've, you can clear it, but in most cases what do they do? They drain the swamp. They drain the pool. So at the end of the day, this is what is happening in the world. We're looking at the draining of the swamp. But because we're all involved to some degree or another, it's going to affect us. It's going to affect you principally in your physiognomy because your physical body is your karma. You've got to understand that. Your karma is not something outside of you that's coming to get you. Your karma, the enemy or your karma is within. You are wearing your karma, Ralph. Your body is your karma. The very fact you reincarnated means you are wearing the mantle of your karma because your body will present to you every karmic experience you have from the least, like saying getting a bit of heartburn or something, which might seem transient, but it's also part of karma, something as mild as that, to tremendous situations where you have someone physically standing in front of you causing tremendous disruption for you. But the body is the karma. And while you wear the body, you are confronted by your karma. This is why also there is such a grievous and very tragic non-acceptance. It's the, the lords of karma are very merciful, but suicide is the ultimate and absolute penultimate rebellion of your karma. It is to murder the body. In other words, I refuse to pay my karma. And you murder the body and you are sent back almost instantly. This is also very tragic. People don't realize that unless it's a very, very certain circumstance. Um, you don't even get a chance before you know it. You've reincarnated into a situation and into a body which um, you're not going to welcome. You're not going to welcome those people and you will experience everything you run away from again plus the new set of karma that has come through. So it's a very tragic circumstance. So I pray, I often do pray. I have had over many years grave concern for because I have been at first-hand experience through people I know and I'm very deeply bonded to who have committed suicide. It, and I have prayed deeply for them and that their souls are immediately taken up onto inner levels so that they are not lost onto the astral planes and that they can return with safety. Because, you know, when you say you reincarnate, there are... Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Meaning that there are all the astral planes and the etheric planes. And to reincarnate doesn't necessarily mean on this particular matter plane. You might reincarnate on one of the other astral planes, which are as physical and tangible there where they are to uh, where we are here. But the only problem is, which Mother taught quite extensively through Saint Germain and Lord Maitreya, is that the time difference in the astral planes is very different. And once you're stuck there, it can take you what is equivalent to several lifetimes to get out of it, to get back. To seek physical embodiment is the most highly prized sought after form of embodiment there is because there's only the so-called marginal plus to minus 75 years and then you can return again. You are not bound here. You can be released here through the principle of dharma and karma. It's a matter of moral responsibility. It's a matter of being my brother's keeper. Principally, we start at home with the family, even if we don't are not married and we have other forms of family or extended family. It doesn't matter. You extend out to the neighborhood and to your nation and then to the world. So we've got to be very aware that we are all part of one another. And every tiny little thing you do, and this might seem very, very um, over the top, Ralph, but this is what the masters have shown me. Even simply pouring yourself a glass of water and sitting down will affect someone on the other side of the world. It's called balance and counterbalance. Everything you do that is in the light, you will help to keep the light. 
when you work against the light, you are working with those that work against the light. Well, there you have it. It's um, as usual. Anna Kalima really takes us into very profound concepts indeed. So let me just take this opportunity and tell you if you would like to make a donation, you can please contact Aniela and uh, the phone number is plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. I'll repeat that number. It's plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two and uh, she will put you in touch with the right account number and also you can also speak to her about the courses that we run. We have a cyber university called the Blue Lotus University, also sponsored by the Ascended Masters. And there are some courses there. And if you are interested in running these courses, they are in the MP4 format, they're in video format, and um, you're welcome to inquire about them. So we have this morning had one hour. You, as usual, a very, very interesting morning with wonderful concepts indeed. And uh, yes, right now we are facing the world with complicated things in the world, but karma and dharma is a principle that continues over and above of the outer manifestation of complex issues, which are also <laughs> just the karma and the forcing of the karma that you have to face your karma. Yes. Um, it becomes a principle of character. It becomes a principle of honor. It becomes a principle of love. Jesus um, extended Lord Maitreya's principle, which is you should love one another as I have loved you, a new commandment I give to you. He said a new commandment, and people have totally rejected it and disobeyed it, misunderstanding that in fact he added it to the tablet of Moses. When he said a new commandment, he added it to the tablet of Moses. So it is actually one of the commandments of Lord God Almighty, that you love one another as I have loved you. That principle alone, which is the highest form of wisdom, and the highest form of wisdom, Ralph, is compassion, which Gautama Buddha was, compassion. He was compassion, which means also compassion is the highest form of love mortal man may ever experience while he's in the matter plane. This is why Buddhists strive for compassion. You strive for righteousness in Christ, which is really the same thing as compassion. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, the pure mind of the Christ consciousness, is actually compassion. So without compassion, to love one another as I have loved you and to love my brother more than I love myself is very, very important. If we can embody this, not just see it as a principle, not just see it as a concept, because this is where in intellectualism mankind gets very, very stuck. He sees it as a principle, and I've had this um, put to me many times, and you always get the response, yeah, but... This thing of loving my brother when my brother doesn't love me, that's not your problem. If your brother doesn't love you, it's not your problem. It's his problem. If your neighbor doesn't love you, it's his or her problem. If the government doesn't love you, it's their problem. 
And when we are told to love the neighbor, when we are told to love the brother, when we're told to, in the sense, the government and the people who are running the government, you don't love the personality. You love the Christ within them, praying that the Christ will come forward. Because remember one thing, if I might add here, the word personality means your personal reality. It has got nothing to do with your soul, as per our original conversation. So your personal reality is your karma. This is not interesting. Your personal reality is your karma. Is your soul your personal reality? No, you are paying off that karma. It doesn't mean you are your karma. You have karma to pay off. Rather be a little bit impersonal about it. Be a little bit indifferent. Like, you have to pay the bond every month because you bought a house. There's no use throwing a tantrum, shouting and screaming and jumping up and down and going to the bank and saying, well, I'm poor and I'm suffering. He's just going to look at you and have the police throw you out. Right, okay. <laughs> so at the end of the day, if you're going to do that with your karma, the karmic principle, the laws of karma, will do the same. They will just gently take the angel and ask them to remove you out of the way. And when you've calmed down and you are more reasonable, you can then discuss it. But to waver your karma, the, car the chances are not very likely. They're pretty remote. Because if you waver your karma, Ralph, you don't have a chance to evolve. You don't have a chance to reach transcendence. You don't have a chance to self-master. You don't have a chance to self-enlighten. If you keep deferring your karma, you will not self-enlighten. You will not self-master. You will not reach the ascension. Oh, thank you very much, um, Anna There's a question here from a lis listener in Spain. She says... Um, uh, how can we know what we can do to serve if we have no vocation? You have to pray, beloved one. You have to pray to Almighty God. And you can pray in such a manner that you go as Jesus taught you. And Jesus taught us a principle that is so sublime and has been so overlooked and distorted by modern charismatic Christianity. Is that you go into the sacred repository or secret closet of the heart which is your threefold flame and you shut the door uh, what does that mean you shut the door well you can do it archetypally and go into your bedroom and shut the door but what Jesus really means is that you shut the door to the outer manifestation or the interference in your life you have to find a place where you can go and do that Okay, and sit very quietly in quietness possess your soul God will tell you in quietness in, in silence possess your soul. In other words, take hold of yourself. And in there, you then set out and you say, Lord, please help me that I may learn how to serve mankind. Jesus put it another way. He said, Come unto me, ye that are weary and broken, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Now the burden he referred to is Karma. Karma is actually the horizontal bar of the cross. You have the pressure that comes down upon your shoulders, right? That is your karma. But Jesus says, I will transfer that burden into light for you so that your karma becomes dharma. That you serve and then you will know that the yoke or your balance is easy. Yoke is to be balanced. My yoke is easy. My yoke is balanced. My balance is the love of God. My balance is the love of life. My balance is love. I balance my karma in love. That's what that means, literally translated. I balance my karma in love. Therefore, I can bear it. I can bear the burden of my karma. 
therefore I can learn how to serve. That's the first principle. Because if you don't have that, how will you serve in any way? Because you're so weighted by the pressure of karma and the world events, you don't know how to serve. Jesus will show you how to serve. Or any ascended being will show you how to serve. Afro will show you. Any master, because they are ascended. They've been where you are, where we all are right now. It's not a single ascended being who hasn't, because that is the whole principle of evolution. It's the principle that we took in the beginning, free will. The Father gave us free will. The Father, Mother, God gave us free will, which means you have to evolve. You have to go into the matter planes, not only the planetary body that you live on now. We have embodied on other planetary bodies as well. I have had recalls in previous lives of being on other planetary bodies, and it's very similar to here. It's not as ridiculous and full of nonsense as some people imagine. It is so similar to here, it's almost quite unbelievable. It really is. So at the end of the day, there's always a place for you to pay your karma off. But you've got to understand, beloved, you've got to understand this, that if you are only going to be able to pay karma in your mind, life becomes a drudgery. Just as people who do not awaken and they only go to work and come home and go to work and come home. Jesus said you cannot live by bread alone. Why do you work and come home to sustain what the body you're living? So you're only sustaining your stomach. At the end of the day, you're making sure you have a place to put your head down at night, a roof over your head to protect you from the weather and all sorts of other things and predators, and which unfortunately today are not animals but mankind. <laughs> and then at the other side of it... Um, <clears throat> You know, we can sustain ourselves, we can look after ourselves, but then, but then, what after that? If life is only about sustenance, then as the, the great um, Ascended Master Yogananda Paramahansaji wrote in his great book on the um, second coming of the Christ, um, the Christ consciousness, he said there, then you are nothing better than a very sophisticated, intelligent animal. And we are not animals. Animals under an animal husbandry are given homes. They, they they normally live with man in his house. They eat food according to themselves, but they also eat our food as well. And they are looked after and taken care of. And beyond that, well, the principle of the animal is to be your companion. Is that all there is out of life, just companionship? Is there no principle to strive? The principle to strive, and I say this to my beloved listeners and to you, beloved heart in Spain, the principle to strive is to serve. If it's only for yourself, then it becomes a very selfish conduct and you will fall through the loop of that thing very quickly. Just as the fallen cabals of the world who, who only strive for themselves, who only work for themselves, will fall in the hole they're digging for us. They will fall it in, in themselves because there is only God and God is the only power that can act. Okay, And evil is not real and its appearance has no power. I have first-hand experience out of this. I do not just say this out of my heart to comfort anyone. I have first-hand experience of this in my life, what I have been through. And I can tell you that evil is not real and its appearance has no power. The appearance of Dharma, though, has tremendous power because that is when you do good. God good for mankind. That is when you uplift other people. That is when you help other people. The minute you help someone... You are serving. The minute you help someone in any way, you help an old lady across the road, you are serving. But there's a higher point to service than just simply assisting your brother and your family of man. You must want to serve in the sense that you bring wisdom into your life so that you can evolve, so that you can move into compassion and away from human love. Because human love is uh, very compromised. Human love. You know, let me put it to you this way. I hope this can help. Let's go back to the animal. The nature of the animal is to take, Ralph. Is it not so? 
you feed the animal, he will take it. It's not going to say thank you, woof, 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 thank you for my food. And the cat's going to say meow, meow, thank you for my food. The nature of the animal is to take. On the principle that in their companionship, they return what they take by being faithful and loyal to you. So in a sense, there is already in the elemental world a form of service. But mankind's principle is not just to take. Mankind's principle is to serve. And you'll see in these cabals that are busy trying to imbalance everything in the world, their nature is only to take. Their nature is that of the animal. They only take. They will not give back. And as soon as you do that, the water dies. The water in the swimming pool dies. The filter chokes up. You can't cleanse anything. You can't bring anything through. Because wisdom is cleanliness. It's another form of divine cleanliness. They say cleanliness is next to godliness, but there's an inner cleanliness that we need to pay more attention to, and that is the cleanliness that comes from service, from serving mankind. And if you're not sure where to serve, find service in your deepest aspirations of life, what you like to do the most. You might find that, in fact, you are able to serve humanity very well in what you like to do the most. But if you are really that unsure, then there are hosts of heaven, there are billions and zillions of angels, as I often tell my blessed granddaughter, who cannot get over that concept in her little mind that there are billions of angels. And I mention that because of the sweet endearment of the innocence in it. But at the end of the day, there are so many wonderful beings of light in the heavenly world. And we can ask them at any time of the day, through the Christ consciousness, O oh Lord, or a Sinodani Master, whoever, maybe Lady Nada, for example, one of the great karmic lords, please will you guide me how to serve. Another one to ask is a great divine director himself. Oh, beloved great Manu, great divine director, please help me. Where best does my service for humanity come forward in my little lot in life? How can I, with what I have, serve? Where would I be able to serve? Where, under the present circumstances, where everything is so tight and restricted as it is, I can still find a way to serve. And if physically, in other words, you cannot do anything in the physical plane, which has just been flashed through to me, is that you can pray. So even if you can't go out and do something for people, sit down and pray for them. Pray for mankind. Decree for mankind. Bring in the light because that in itself is perhaps one of the greatest forms of service there is because through the mighty iron presence of everybody, in other words, God is in everyone, you can reach the whole of mankind. You can reach seven point something billion souls right now instantaneously through one prayer, through the heart of God. Yeah, that is that is so true. Um, I think there might be a little bit of a misunderstanding from this particular caller who's talking about vocation, and that is vocation, she most probably means in the outer world to be a doctor or to, to be a, a, a qualified in service in particular position as a politician or something like that. But you're... You don't have to have a formal vocation to serve. And um, if you needed to serve in that form of vocation, you would have been placed in your destiny to go there. But if you don't have a formal vocation in that sense, then means you have got other talents where you can um, actually have opportunity to serve. As Anakadema is just so... Um, elucidated so very, very beautifully. So, thank you very much, Anakinema, and thank you for your question, uh, listener from uh, Spain. So we'd have a short break now.
So thank you very much, everyone that has been tuned in this morning, to listening to Blue Lotus Radio. We are grateful for our listeners. And we come to that part of our discussion where we allow Anakalima um, uh, to either make a prayer or to make a call for on, on behalf of humanity. And we always close our discussion in such a manner that we either pray or make calls. So I leave it to you on a kalima, how you would like to bring a close to our conversation today. What I have for you um, is the presence of Jesus. Beloved Master Jesus has come through and would like to tell you that Be not afraid, for I am with you now unto the end, which is but the beginning. 
Be not afraid, for with the compassion of my heart in mercy, I will heal you of all your afflictions. Be not afraid of the world, because they have but a short time, and all that in the world that bothers you is not, and God is greater than any of these. Beloved Jesus goes on to say, No, come unto me, ye that are weary and broken, for my burden is the light of cosmic consciousness, therefore there is no burden, and my yoke is the balance of equanimity, of compassion, and mercy and justice for all, in the freedom of immortal consciousness. Therefore you can come unto me and surrender, and I will deliver you. And what of surrender, beloved, is surrender? Surrender at this point in time for so many of you is that in the complexity and nature of your karma, your comings and goings and doings and the present dharma that is available to you, you might seem overwhelmed and buried under the weight of it all. Yet I tell you that I am here. I am the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. I am your Jesus I have always been your Jesus. I will always be your Jesus. When you come unto me, be not afraid, for I shall draw the veil of my love around you and uplift you on the wings of the Holy Spirit, that in spirit through Christ, through my Father in the heart of Lord Maitreya, you may know mercy, you may know compassion, you may know the comforter that I originally said I would give you prior to my ascension, in the name of my Father in heaven. Therefore, with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you can be visited and invested with a spirit of wisdom that will give you knowing, that will give you understanding as the still, clear, small voice within the divine and immortal pool of your own consciousness in your higher self, where if you will only, my children, but still yourself for a moment, and go in and shut the door with me. I will show you a way. I will guide you through the straight and narrow. The straight and narrow is the line between two extreme opposites, not too much and not too little. Balance. It is all about balance and harmony. Balance and harmony. And cast your burdens upon my heart. Cast your burdens indeed upon the Lord. Because the greater burden is light, and the greater burden far outweighs any of the chaos and anarchy that appears to be present in the world at the moment. This is a time when, if you are able in these moments, as you are entering into the golden age of beloved Saint Germain, this is a time when you can open up and develop communion with God, with the holy ascended masters, with the angels and the mighty archangels and even the Elohim, where you can develop bonds with heaven that in fact will continue long after you have ascended. Saint Germain made a comment in his I Am Discourses, which I followed deeply and impacted very, very deeply into my life when I was younger. And I too was discovering certain things that so many, when they awaken, discover is that really at the end of the day you have very few friends around you 
and the common, common vernacular is that when days are light, friends are many, and when days are dark, friends are few. And invariably, the enemy ends up becoming the friend and the friend the enemy. And these kinds of controversial situations in the Tao of living, the Tao of living, is in that sense the ambiguity of life. But it is a time where if you are willing to put your hand in the hand of faith, in the hand of Michael, in the hand of Christ Jesus, in the hand of the Cosmic Virgin Mary, in the hand of Maitreya or Gautama Buddha or Afra or any of these great ones, in the heart of Saint Germain and Portia, you'll find a greater friend than you ever knew. Because Saint Germain made it very clear, he said, we are your friends. Why? Because I am the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. I do not change. I am seated and sealed and one in Christ because I am the Christ. Therefore, I am not moved by the coming and going of the sea of human emotion. Therefore, I am faithful and loyal. All I ask of you is your loyalty, your faith and belief in me, and I will deliver you. So this is a time, beloved Whoever may hear my words, this is a time to truly reconnect with your divinity, reconnect with God, reconnect with the Christ and the ancient principle of the Christ is that you love one another as he has loved you, that you love the Christ with all your heart, soul and mind because, beloved, you are the Christ. I don't care what religion you followed. The masters aren't interested either in what religion you follow. They're interested in whether you love and are able to love enough to overcome through the power of love everything and anything, even as every ascended being did. And in this great comfort and in this great joy, I leave these words of beloved Saint Germain with you, that we are your friends. You can form, yes you can, you can form now with deep bonds of devotion, the principle to service, to do your work willingly, in other words, to bear your burden willingly, to make your cause, your prayers, your decrees, and to love one another. You can in fact fashion heart ties as the masters call them heart ties with these ascended beings that go on for infinity and they will carry you through and they will see you through in some of the darkest hours of your life because those ties are immortal those ties are permanent they are not impermanent as the transient nature of friendship the transient nature of the coming and going of mankind even if you have someone in your life and you love each other deeply and as it is, and as it always works out, one of you makes transition first. You're left behind. And therefore that love is no longer, as it were, principally with you, right in front of you. Yet in Christ it is. It is right there in front of you because love cannot die. So the greatest relationship you could ever, beloved listeners, develop is one with the ascended hosts, is one with the Elohim, is one with God is one with the blessed angels and the archangels. There are billions and billions of angels. And every legion encounters 10,000 angels. You know, Archangel Michael himself has more than one legion. His legion of angels is not one. He has several legions for several levels of work that he does. And so does every ascendant being have several levels of legions for various levels of work. There is an angel. These angels are trained they're not just benevolent beings who flutter down to earth. These beings are trained in the light of the deepest, deepest level of psychology of mankind there is. So there is an angel for every single facet of human living. There are even angels of technology who will help you keep your technology clear and balanced so that 
because, you know, the fallen ones working on the electromagnetic uh, plane, Ralph, can interfere with mechanics, interfere with the magnetic lines and the electrical lines. There are even angels to assist against such interference. There is not a single level, or if you like, department of human living, where there are not angels there for you. So there is, in a sense, really no excuse. It requires faith, trust, hope, and belief. And these I give you and leave you, not because I and myself, as Anna Kalima, have some superior power. I and my own self have nothing. Jesus taught me long ago, as he taught Catherine of Siena, um, quite some time ago, a couple of hundred years ago in Spain. Um, and he said to her when he appeared to her, and he gave her this mantra, I the nothing and thou, O Lord, who art the all in all in me. Meaning that the more I empty out, Lord, the more there is of you. I am not nothing. I am not no thing. Yet I am nothing because I am empty waiting for you to fulfill me. To fill me with your love so that I can be like you. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anakalema. Those are wonderful thoughts that she's leaving us on. And we really... Look forward to next Wednesday when she will present a new uh, train of thoughts. And I will just repeat our number. Um, Aniela's number is plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. I'll just repeat that again. Plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. So if you are moved to uh, either inquire after some of the courses on the Blue Lotus University, Cyber University, or if you are moved to make a donation to our work, that's the person to contact. Her name is Aniela, and uh, not Anna Kalima, but Aniela. It's a different person we are talking about. So I thank you all very much for actually joining us this morning and giving us the opportunity to bring to you uh, these wonderful discourses and uh, you hearing them on Blue Lotus Radio. And uh, I am not aware of any other radio station that will provide these wonderful talks. So Blue Lotus Thank you for listening to us. And uh, we now say goodbye. And Nicolima now says goodbye. I say goodbye. Thank you. <laughs>